Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 9, 23 through 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I have to say I'm quite encouraged uh, amidst the snow to see so many faces and so many of you digging out. I can't help but think that some of you made promises during the Chiefs game uh, that you're hoping to cash in on right now. Um, but hey, it's great to be together with all of you. Why don't we continue now? Um, in a posture of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Take this moment now in the silence to ask God to speak to you afresh. He longs to make himself known to his creation. Now pray that same prayer for the person and the people sitting around you. God, we long for life and life to the full, but we often chase death. We want to be our truest selves, but we have no idea how to find ourselves. And so, Father, would you meet us this morning and guide us through the brilliance of your word that we might know the life that you offer us in Jesus. We pray now in the name of Jesus, acknowledging your spirit's presence among us as we gather in his name and as people indwelled by the spirit as we follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were born in the 80s or 90s, <clears throat> and I were to ask you, which is most, a lot of folks, uh, if I were to ask you, who's the one man who became the symbol of basketball, you would say Michael Jordan, right? Like Michael, tongue out, arms stretched, space jam, right? Air Jordan. I mean, there was a whole... Line of shoes, which these are just gorgeous, aren't they? I borrowed these. Um, they've never been worn. If they're gone, somebody's going through church discipline. Uh, I'm going to be in big trouble. No, but in all seriousness, if you loved basketball or you liked sports or you just wanted to make it in life, you wanted to be like Mike, right? And if you could walk a mile literally in his shoes, then maybe you thought you could make it too. I mean, the world loved Michael Jordan and gave herself liberally to him, right? Now, if you know fashion, then you know this person. She was one in a long wave of American designers, one of the first women in a long wave of women desires, designers in the, uh, the 90s. Um, one journalist said she had this enviable ability to predict what women the world over wanted to carry. Um, her name becomes immortalized into a brand, right? 
encased on purses that most women, that so many women buy as like a rite of passage. And of course, I'm talking about Kansas City's own Kate Spade, right? Kansas City Star said that Kate Spade actually had the very heart of the entrepreneurial spirit. And designers around the world wanted to be possessed with that same spirit that they saw in Kate Spade. I mean, both of these individuals are brilliant examples of the top of the very top when it comes to success in our world, right? They gained the whole world. And yet, they lost themselves. Many of you know the heartbreaking news that came last year that Kate Spade took her own life in a prestigious New York City apartment. And it left the world in awe and confusion because she had the world at her fingertips. And it still wasn't enough. Michael Jordan. I don't know if any of you read there's an ESPN piece back in 2013 when Michael Jordan turned 50, they interviewed him and did this broader uh, piece on his life at that point. And what do we find when we find Michael Jordan when he's 50? Is he soaring through the air, full of confidence, conquering the world? Instead, we find Michael Jordan extraordinarily wealthy. I mean, a whole host of people who are there at his beck and call to eliminate the smallest amount of pain and heartache. He has this legacy that is now immortal. I mean, Nobody's going to have that kind of basketball legacy like Michael Jordan. And yet he finds a way to be utterly miserable, despite all that he has. Michael Jordan, when he was about to turn 50, was known as a strange mixture of rage and nostalgia. He forced his friends, or really deeply encouraged his friends, to call him Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name for God. And he, he self-proclaimed, said, hey, my self-esteem is connected to the game of basketball. And without the game of basketball, he felt utterly lost. The whole article from ESPN ends not with this image of a mythical icon in the American culture still soaring with confidence and a brilliant legacy, but instead in a mansion larger than life at 1 a.m. where everybody else has gone to sleep. He can't go to sleep. He's there on his couch with his TV at full blast watching another Western because he's afraid to face himself. Be like Mike. Every single one of us in here, every single one of us in here has something or that place we would want to be that, that we would give everything in order to have, in order to be. No one could have predicted that this is where Michael Jordan's life would end. No one forecasted Kate Spade's final chapter. And yet every new generation, we travel the same path, trying to walk in their footsteps and thinking we're going to come to a different destination. How can we be so sure we won't have the same final chapter? How can we avoid chasing the world or chasing what means the world to us? Because it may not be huge, but it may be something very specific. How can we avoid chasing the world and not lose ourselves. It has everything to do with what we do on Monday, which is why this year we started something bigger than a new series. It's a new way of seeing Christ's community, a clearer way of seeing this church across five campuses across the metro. We put our stake in the ground and have made this bold commitment that we want to be a church for Monday. 
A church that follows Jesus all the way into Monday, which is the rest of our life. And as we scour the pages of Scripture, we discovered seven distinguishing marks that highlight, that, that affirm that we're really on the good path with Jesus. These seven marks that highlight someone who's ready to follow Jesus on Monday. And today we're going to talk about the first mark. If you want to follow Jesus on Monday, if you want to be ready for all that Monday entails, the rest of your life, then we need to first take up our cross. People who are ready for Monday take up their cross. And in the battleground for our souls, which is waged on Monday, what Jesus tells you and I is if we want the life we so deeply long for, it has to start with death. Let's see why that's the case. If you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke was an experienced uh, medical professional, and so he was extraordinarily exceptional at seeing details. And what we see is that Luke spent a good period of his life in the first century going to eyewitness testimonies and creating a historical account of what happened to and through Jesus so that when people asked what indeed happened to Jesus, who is Jesus, he could present an eyewitness, historical, thoughtful flow to everyone who is curious to know who Jesus is. When we get to Luke chapter 9, we find that Jesus has already astoundingly read or fed over 5,000 people with like extraordinarily meager resources. And then he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am now? And Peter, he speaks for everybody and he says, you're the Christ. In other words, you're the one that's been promised throughout history. You're the one that God said he would send to actually break off these bonds of oppression. You're the one who's come to bring us deliverance. And then what Jesus says right after that is astounding. Right after this amazing revelation as to who he is at the very core of what he's come to do, he says, yes, you're right, and I've come to die, to suffer and to be rejected by some of the most prominent leaders in Jerusalem, and then to die, and then to rise again. And then right after he makes this bold clarification as to what he's come to do in his role as the Messiah, the Christ, he says, you want to know what you want to expect if you follow me all the way? If you want to be a part of what I'm doing in the world, if you want this life that you so deeply ache for, if you want to find your truest self, then you need to take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Sounds pretty churchy, right? It's pretty revolutionary in Jesus' day, but you'd expect a pastor to say that today, right? So what does that mean for Monday? Three things that we're going to see anchored in our text this morning. When your alarm goes off tomorrow morning, Taking up your cross means being committed to these three things, no matter what it costs. And here they are. Say no to yourself, risk everything for Jesus, and expect resurrection. Okay? Let's look at our text. Jesus begins in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, when he says, If anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Another way of saying that is that Jesus is saying we got to get really good at saying no to me, to ourselves. And so if you want to be ready for Monday, the starting point for following Jesus all the way into Monday 
is getting really good at saying no to yourself. A friend of mine, Kelly McKinney, some of you know her, she's an active part of this church, often says, no is a complete sentence. (laughs) And we have to get really good, we have to get really good at being that direct with our own hearts, with some of our own desires, with some of our own longings. And there's a certain component to this that this doesn't have to be taught, right? There are certain things within our lives that are destructive, an emotional state, a state of being, an experience where we naturally want to say no. When we say no to something that we naturally know is destructive in our lives, for example, anxiety, when anxiety pops up and we say, no, you're not going to overtake me today, if it was that simple, just to say no to anxiety. If you were to say no and actually have victory, what does that feel like? That feels like liberation, doesn't it? But what happens when Jesus calls us to say no to ourselves when it's something that feels so right? when it feels so good. When we, when we are called to say no to ourselves, when it feels right, when it feels good, then it feels like a cross, doesn't it? It starts to feel like that death, that pain, that loss, and shame. When Jesus prepares us for Monday, out of all the brands he could have associated with his way forward, a new pair of sneakers, an amazing handbag, he chose a cross, an image that exudes loss, execution, destruction, self-sacrifice, and self-denial. You know, no matter your background or your religious belief, when you read the life of Jesus, a large majority of people, even if they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, will say that Jesus has a beautiful life. And you know what defined his life more than anything else? Self-denial. You read the four gospel accounts, and what's at the climax of each one of those historical accounts? But the cross. Jesus' life was defined by a statement that was articulated in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his execution, when in the face of death, he says, not my will, but yours, Father. Even if that means I will lose everything on the cross as a sacrifice, utter self-denial. And if we want to follow Jesus into Monday... That means we too must pick up the mantra, not my will, but yours, God, and take up our cross. Jackie Hill Perry is a brilliant rapper. She's a brilliant uh, artist and writer. Um, And she's also someone who experiences same-sex attraction. And when she began to follow Jesus, she stopped dating women and ended a long relationship with her girlfriend. I mean, can you imagine how painful that was? Well, just recently, she was invited to speak at Harvard. And when she spoke, she caused waves nationally. Even there was a piece about it in, the, in Newsweek. And, and it, all the controversy revolved around one particular statement where she says, Jesus Christ is the model for how we are to deny ourselves, whether that applies to our greed, to our lust, Self-denial is not an option for the Christian. 
Self-denial, self-sacrifice has always seemed weird, especially in a culture that has a philosophy, if it feels good, do it. That's, that is the litmus test to what we should do in our life, in our culture broader, the philosophy, if it feels good, do it. It's always seemed weird when it comes to self-denial, but now any more than ever, it feels like self-denial is even condemned as a form of inauthenticity in our culture. Jesus invites us to a radical, beautiful, and different way altogether, and it's defined by a cross, a place where we paradoxically lose our life and so find it. Saying no to yourself on Monday sometimes is as simple as just getting out of bed and not snoozing the world a little bit longer. It's saying the challenges that face me today are something I'm called to even though they're going to hurt like death. Saying no to yourself on Monday means sometimes taking the tasks that nobody else wants and taking the tasks and the jobs that no one else sees and not trying to fight to get other people to praise you for the things that no one else saw. Sometimes saying no to yourself on Monday is taking the extra step of work, even though you'd rather just hit the note right there and be done with it. Saying no to yourself on Monday is saying to unforgiveness, you have no home here. Saying revenge, it's time to pack your bags. Saying no to yourself on Monday is turning your cheek when you're disrespected from your children, to your coworkers, to your boss, and choosing instead to deny the desire for revenge and choose the path of love, compassion, and care. And sometimes saying no to yourself is this one-off event where you could kind of say, hey, there was this one moment in my life where I said no to myself and it's transformed my whole trajectory in my life. And then there are other times where saying no to yourself is a journey of a lifetime in a particular area of constant struggle. Returning back to Jackie Hill Perry and her brilliant book, Gay Girl, Good God, she writes, speaking of our passage today, we know this verse, referring to Luke 9.23, means dying to self. But how often have we seen it in the kind of patient, daily, drawn-out dying that will come of wearing our own cross? That once nailed to our back, it will by no means mean that the sin we die to today will not return tomorrow for us. To put it to death again and again until after a season or, feel the pain in this, a lifetime, we discover it dead. Finally. The only way to life is to pick up your cross and die. When was the last time you said no to yourself and it felt like death? Take up your cross. Because really, that's, that's when the adventure with Jesus begins. Back in 2017, we did um, a church-wide survey. It's a national survey called Reveal. And it helps churches better assess and hopefully get better at equipping Jesus followers for all of life. And, and we did pretty well in a lot of ways, except for especially one area. 
there was one statement we asked people from across five campuses to respond to. And the statement was this, I am willing to risk everything that is important in my life for Jesus Christ. The response was, are you willing? Are you kind of willing? Are you not willing? And across five campuses, everybody who participated in this, only 34% said, yeah, I'm willing to risk everything for Jesus. Now, when you hear that, if you're anything like me, you're like, well, that is something I definitely need to work on just broadly, right? I haven't got this all figured out. But here's the deal. When it comes to Jesus, risking everything isn't a status that mature Christians arrive at eventually. This is a part of that starting point. Alongside of dying to oneself, denying oneself, saying no to yourself, is the call then, number two, taking up your cross means risk everything for Jesus. Everything. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Holding back when it comes to Jesus is a losing game. And it's so easy to hold back. Because by embracing Jesus and allowing him to truly and for you to truly identify fully with him, obeying him in all that he teaches and following him in all that he does, taking up your cross all the way to the end degree, means you're opening yourself up to ridicule, to shame, to pain, and to loss. It's not an easy step forward. And yet it's a cross that we carry into Monday. An image of shame. The very crucifixion act usually went like this. It was an extraordinarily humiliating act where you were stripped naked or nearly naked, brutalized, and then eventually died, and you were crucified along main, highly trafficked areas along the marketplace near the city entrance so that everybody, wherever anybody walked, they would walk by you naturally and then mock you when you looked your absolute worst. It was an extraordinarily shame-filled experience. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. When was the last time you risked for Jesus, when you risked your comfort, when you risked a relationship, when you, when you risked your own personal brand, right, your identity, your reputation, are there crosses in your life that you're intentionally avoiding? And I know that's a hard question to ask, um, and so thankfully, in our little companion booklet, which if you have not received one yet. We have plenty of extra copies in the back. Grab one, take it. We have different extra articles to be reading as well as some exercises and some thoughts for reflection and conversation starters in this. One of those is going to be doing a risk assessment in your own life. A series of questions to help you dive deeper instead of just saying, yeah, I risk for Jesus. Ask yourself more deeply and more thoroughly, is that truly a part of your story? Because this is where life is. This isn't a legalism where we're trying to pound people into death. No, this is the pathway to life. And that's why I can say excitingly, take up your cross and follow Jesus.
We so often can think that my relationships, my roles, my responsibilities are for what? Me on my Monday. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Your relationships, your responsibilities, your roles, wherever you find yourself on Monday, that's for me. And when we finally start to understand that, we're willing to risk it all for him because it's his anyway. So many times, I'll see this, if you want to really frank pastoral aside, I'll see people who come in very angry at God and they'll come to church and they're like, you know what, I've prayed for a relationship with a significant other or I've prayed for a job or I've prayed for a child and they're so angry and then they start coming to church and they're crying out to Jesus and then God gives them that significant other or maybe that child or maybe that job and where do they go? They're gone. Had nothing to do with God. They wanted their roles, their relationships, their responsibilities to bring them joy apart from God and they were expecting God to just deliver because it was never for him in the first place. Beware, that will lead to death, not life. Beware when you actually get what you want, where it leads you. You know, uh, last Tuesday was the first Tuesday back at school for my daughter, Ava. She's in preschool. And it's really common for her, you know, this is her first year in some organized school setting, right? And she's still trying to figure out some days skipping nap, all right? So this is just get yourself in her Monday, right? So she's going back to school, two weeks of holidays. You rested when you wanted. You worked when you wanted. And now you're going back to school. And usually when Allie, my wife, and my son Israel, and now Zion, go to pick up Ava at the end of preschool, she's exhausted. She's tired, cranky, and sometimes downright mean. Uh, I've done it uh, on Fridays. It's like, woo, we don't sometimes want to brush her the wrong way, right? And so we're driving to preschool. And I'm about to drop her off, and I had an idea. I was like, okay, hey, Ava, when you get to preschool today, at the end of preschool, you're going to be really tired. You're going to be exhausted. And you're going to feel like the only thing you can be is cranky. What's our verse? You know, right now our family verse is Philippians 2.14, right? We've got a whole song and bit. Allie's really good at it, right? So we sing it at the breakfast table. And she goes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right which we often think is so that I can get the gold in a race, which is good too. But we're sitting there and I said, okay, well, you're going to get in the car after preschool and there's going to be this moment, you're going to be exhausted and you're going to let down your guard because you're not with your friends, with your family and you're really going to want to be mean and cranky. You're going to feel like that's the only thing you can do because sometimes my kids will say, I can't do that. I can't be nice, you know. So I said, okay, well, you're going to feel like you can't. But what does our verse say? Jesus can help us, right? So even though you want to be mean, you got to say no to the meanness and yes to kindness, and Jesus can help you do that. And of course, Ava retorts, you know, in the backseat, well, what if Israel's mean to me? <laughs> Great question, you know. I said, well, that's a risk you're going to have to take. Jesus says you're not responsible for everybody else's attitudes, but you are responsible for how you live. So choose kindness, and Jesus will help you. I got home, and we were all, like, anxious about how tired and cranky she was going to be at the end of the day, frankly. Love her to death. She's brilliant. She'll thank me for this story someday um, after counseling. But the, you know, I come home, and Allie's like, Allie, or Ava did such a great job. She got in the car. She was really kind to Israel. She was kind to me. She chose kindness. She said no to herself, risked it all, and it brought life to our family. 
And I know it doesn't seem like a big thing, but to her it was huge. And for every single one of us, we have those moments in our life, the everyday carrying of our cross. And following Jesus means we risk it all for Jesus. That means we risk it on Monday when we love the people that no one else wants to love. We find ourselves present with the ones who aren't necessarily going to give us an upwardly mobile existence in our workplace. We forgive what the rest of the world may consider the unforgivable. And when God calls us to start new ventures or to revitalize historical business that are doing common good initiatives or breaking new impact in the world, we do so with joy rather than reluctance or pouting because of the joy we get to be in finding life with Christ on mission wherever he has us. We choose not to retaliate. We don't laugh at jokes at the human dignity of any person, even if you feel like they deeply deserve it. Because they're still a human being made in the image of God. We give credit where credit is due, and we align our identity with Jesus in explicit and sometimes implicit ways that will bring ridicule. But knowing, as we heard in our passage read this morning, there will come a day where Jesus will return and when the rest of the world mocked you because your identification with Jesus, he will stand alongside of you and say, well done, good and faithful servant to the mockery to the rest of the world who said you were a fool. This is the church on Monday. This is the church that takes up their cross. But if you're anything like me, you're asking why or, or how is this even possible? And it comes with a clear understanding that, yes, we take up our cross. And that means that the cross isn't the end. Taking up your cross on Monday means expecting resurrection. Expecting resurrection. You see, when the disciples heard Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me, they instantly thought of the shame, the death, the loss. But Luke, our faithful doctor and friend, who's recording this historical account, already knows what's coming at the end of his account. He knows what's coming, but they did not yet know in that moment. You see, the cross, which was a global symbol for all sorts of loss, all sorts of pain, all sorts of execution, death, emotional turmoil, and decrease in status. When Jesus got his hands on that cross and it was nailed to his back, Radically, it's transformed in a short period of time to now an image of what? Hope, an image of victory, an image of joy and salvation and peace. The paradoxical path of dying to to everything that's antithetical to what God's doing in the world and even dying to yourself is the true way of life, salvation, hope, and renewal. The gospel is that the author of life took up our cross. He said no to himself in the most radical of ways that he might say yes to you and I. He went where no one else wanted to go, where actually no one else could go. And through his death, he brought life. Once again, verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And now Jesus beckons us to take up our cross and follow after what he has already done. To lose our lives for his sake and so find them. To find our truest selves. To find the world in him. And really our worlds for him. And to find the life we've really longed for all along. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to merely come to the cross, but to walk through the cross and find life on the other end. And today, I want us to hear a story of one of our sisters in the faith, a dear friend of mine who has said no to bitterness creeping up in her heart when Jesus said no to her request. And she has much to teach each and every one of us. Let's watch together. I never saw myself as being disabled or different. I accepted Jesus at 19 years old and you probably could hear me for three or four blocks. I just started praising God. It was just a, such a feeling in the presence that I had never experienced. And then when they got to talk about healing, how Jesus was a healer, and they would talk about how I could be healed, and I believed it. I walk away very discouraged. And nothing, no healing, no nothing. When I got in this wheelchair, it was very depressing for me because I really believed that if I had enough faith that I would not, that I would walk, but that wasn't the case. I never questioned God why I had polio. I, that in my mind, it was never, why am I like this? I never questioned that, but it was like, my question used to be, when am I going to walk? That's where I came to. I'm like, Lord, okay, I'm in this wheelchair and I know that you're a healer. I know it because I believe your word. But even if you don't, it took a long time for me to get there. I'm gonna still serve you. I was kind of just through with church, not God, but church. My daughter actually was on her way to going to another church and she thought Christ Community was that church. <laughs> so accidentally she came to Christ Community and she sat there and it was something about Christ community that just hit a chord with her. And she came home and she said, Mama, you got to come. It's not like any place we've been. You guys became my family. Christ community became a, pay, a place of refuge for me. It's a place of healing, still a place of healing for me. Coming to Christ community has uh, really giving me a different perspective on God and my ministry and, and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know part of my purpose is, is to encourage and to pray for people and, and to be there and to be a beacon of light when they don't see it. It's a place not of just, just worship. It's not just on Sunday, but it's every day of the week. I've never been a part of a ministry like that. And I can truly say I've, I feel valued, not just, just as a believer, but as a person. And then as, as a person with a disability, I don't know if it's his will for me to be healed. Only he knows that. 
I can see one aspect of me being in a chair bringing him glory. And I can say that because when people see that I love God regardless of my circumstances, when people see that I still praise him regardless of being in a chair, that gives people encouragement so they can say, no matter where I am, I can still serve God. Crisis is a 24-7, seven days a week God, not just on a Sunday, but Sunday through to the next Sunday. And I see my purpose here, you know, just showing people Christ, even if it's just a smile, people understand the language of love. You know, sometimes when you see those videos, you think, what were the questions that were asked? I asked one question. <laughs> and we were there for an hour. There was four of us. Every single one of us is weeping by the end. And they, they have, you know, creatively edited uh, to bring together a snapshot of what was a deep, robust picture of what God has been doing in Phyllis's life that brings him glory. And as you can see, and if you've ever met Phyllis, you know joy in her life despite her circumstances. It is an unbelievable testimony of someone who takes up her cross every day. And she teaches me joy like no one else. Well, every week we gather together and there's about 200 plus of us that meet together at this downtown campus on a Sunday. And tomorrow, there's going to be 200 plus of us in nearly 200 plus relationships, roles, responsibilities to which we will be responsible for. I want to ask each and every one of us, where is Jesus calling you to say no and to risk everything for him? Because listen, you can, you can engage this world and follow in the footsteps of Michael Jordan and soar high for a period, and maybe even soar high to the end. You could follow the footsteps and rock the world and all of design and, and make Kate Spade the, the ideal marker of where you want to be. And you could truly make something astounding in the world. But how will you ever know that you will not lose yourself in the process? The only promised route to gain the world and not lose yourself is to take up the cross. That is the only brand the only path with the person of Jesus at the center where we find our world in him that we will find our truest selves. And so we take up our cross, saying no to ourselves when it's excruciatingly painful and risking everything for Jesus, the whole world, all that's been entrusted to us for him and experience resurrection life, at least a taste of it, even tomorrow, breaking in by the power of the Spirit. And one day when he returns, all renewed as he's promised, we do all this for Jesus and so find our deepest and truest selves. So let's be for life on Monday. Let's take up our cross. Let's pray. I know for me, God, this message, even as I was just processing the ways in which 
I'm challenged to say no to myself. And I'm so drawn to comfort and security at moments when I'm actually called to risk. I pray, Lord, that you would grow my faith, that you would grow our faith, that we would be people who would take up our cross, the cross you've given us to bear, and do so daily with the promise of life. This is the journey of faith. We believe, help us in our unbelief, God, and may it show up in tangible ways in the everyday decisions we make on Monday in the rest of our lives. We pray this by the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.